Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sailorville Church Online. My name is Pat Nemers. I'm the lead pastor here at Sailorville. And happy Easter to all of you in your homes, wherever you are, or in the businesses where you're still working today and you happen to be able to go online. We're glad you're here. You just heard a song called Glorious Day, where repeatedly, you know, because he, Jesus called my name, I ran out of the grave. I came out of the grave. I busted out of the grave. It, the song is a metaphor uh, for what happens when a person places their faith in Jesus. But the only reason that metaphor can be used is because of the reality that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, that gives you and me hope when we die, that is, if we have a personal relationship with him. I know these are hard times, and this, uh, this novelty here of watching church online is probably wearing off for some of you. Others are just grateful to have it, but it's all we have. It's what we can do. We're grateful for it, and so if you just give us a few more minutes today, we want to talk to you about what it means to have a resurrection in your own life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ during these difficult times. Uh, Easter is a very special time for me personally. It always has been, but especially since becoming a Christian. In 1982, very shortly after I became a Christian, my brother Mike, who actually led me to Jesus, was in our home. We had a, a crucifix on the wall uh, that was given to us uh, when we were married. A beautiful, ornate uh, metal crucifix. A crucifix is a cross with Jesus uh, having died on the cross. And uh, my brother looked at me and said, why do you still have that up there? And I said, well, it's, it's Jesus. I mean, he, he died for us. And he, my brother goes, well, he's not dead anymore. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He goes, well, take him off. He took him off. He took the crucifix off the wall, and he pulled Jesus off of the metal cross. I mean, I was traumatized momentarily, I have to tell you. But then when I looked at the steel cross... The holes were still where the hands would have been, holes where the feet would have been affixed to that cross. And I looked at him and I thought, perfect. It's a perpetual reminder that Jesus, as I hung it back on the wall, is no longer on that cross. He is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. And yet the holes would be a perpetual reminder that he was, that he did die for us. How important is the resurrection? It's so important that everything we're doing right now hinges upon the truth that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Everything. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, if Christ isn't risen, then our, our preaching is empty. Our faith is empty. What are we doing? We, we might as well live like everybody else, like some of you. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, It's really important. It's that important. Do you realize how important it is? If you have celebrated the Lord's table before, or maybe you were with us on Good Friday, you know that there are two elements to the Lord's table. There is the bread and there is the juice. They're not redundant. They don't mean the same thing. Both are important. The bread represents the perfect life of Jesus. Never sinned, ever. The juice represents his blood, his sacrifice for our sins. The perfect life together with his sacrificial death combined together to bring us salvation. It's the same thing for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If you think about it, if Jesus died but didn't rise, he would just be a martyr. And we've had thousands of those. We don't need any more martyrs. Martyrs can't take our sins away. 
If Jesus rose, quote unquote, but never actually died, then there really isn't a death. If there really isn't a death, there really isn't a sacrifice. If there really isn't a sacrifice, there isn't a substitution. If there isn't a substitution, nobody has taken our sins away. So we need both. We need the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But let's remind ourselves of this great event in history that literally changed history itself. In Matthew chapter 28, I want to read the first several verses. Here's how Matthew records the resurrection of Jesus. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. So there you have it, the historical account of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Do you know the Bible actually records no less than 13 times that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, appeared, like here, 13 times. And every one of those recorded times is powerful. Every one of them is instructive. Every one of them is insightful. Every one of them is, is faith-building, like when he, when he appeared to Peter and restored his faith. And some of them are faith-bringing, like the Apostle Paul who saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus and was born again. That's the idea in the story I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24. This is the third of the 13 appearances of Jesus, and it's my favorite above all. It's very detailed. Here is Jesus. He's been alive now for, mm, who knows, nine, ten hours perhaps? And he's already shown himself to be alive a couple of times. And now he meets a couple of disciples of his, a couple of his followers. He, he appears to them incognito. They don't know who he is. It's a fascinating story. And it's a faith-bringing story. It takes people like these disciples who had facts. It takes people like some of you. You have a lot of facts. You know about Jesus. You know that he claimed to be God. You know that he became a person. You know that he lived a perfect life. You know that he died on the cross. You know that today we claim he rose again. The Bible claims he rose again. You know all that. You know the story. But you don't know the storyteller. You don't know Jesus. That would be these two men that Jesus met. But let's refamiliarize ourselves with this story, shall we? Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Here's how it goes. That very day, two of them, that is disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. Remember that. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. We don't know how he pulled it off but they didn't realize they couldn't tell who Jesus was. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? He's 
playing ignorant here. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Notice, we had hoped, past tense, the death of Jesus changed everything for them. The lights went out. We had hoped. The hope was gone. And then they go on. They're not done yet. Yes, and besides all this, now it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They, they were at the tomb earlier this morning, and, and when they didn't find the body, they came back and, and said they even saw a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. I want you to think with this and think with me on this. These men had been given a verifiable witness that Jesus was alive. Women had come back, but, you know, women back in Bible times, they just, their word didn't even hold up in a court of law. So they sort of very chauvinistically dismissed them. But if you'll notice, others, probably Peter is referring to, probably John they're referring to, had come back and said so. They'd heard this. But death has such a finality about it. Even with all the evidence, it was hard for them to believe that Jesus had risen again. I remember we had a photographer in the church that I formerly pastored many years ago when my first wife died. He showed up at the funeral and just snapped uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of pictures. And about a week later, he, he gave all those pictures to me. And he, he withheld one picture. He said, I want to give this one to you. It's my favorite. I, I couldn't imagine what he was going to give me. And he, he gave me a picture of the grave with dirt on top of it. And he goes, you know, it kind of kind of brings a you know, closure to it, don't you think? <laughs> I didn't embarrass him, or, and I didn't push back, but in my heart I thought, this doesn't bring closure. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus is what brings closure, and her resurrection, which is to come because of her hope, because of her faith that she had put in Jesus. Now, I want you to notice Jesus, who's been incognito. He's just listening, acting like he's ignorant to the whole thing. He's done being ignorant. He's had enough. And look at verse 25. Here's what it says. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's another way of saying he went through the entire Old Testament, he interpreted to them, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Just drink that in for just a moment. And I want you to note what Jesus did not say. Jesus didn't say to these individuals, well, actually he did rise from the dead. He didn't say to them, uh, you know, the angels those women saw, they were real. And oh, by the way, voila, I'm he. I'm Jesus. He could have done that, but he didn't. 
I want you to note carefully what he did because these were disciples. These were men who knew their Bibles. These were men who had read and studied the Old Testament. So what he does instead is he points them to their short-sightedness. He, he points them to their slowness. He points them to their unbelief, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He points them basically to the bigger picture. That's what he did. Think about this for a moment. Jesus took these two disciples on a, a walk through the entire Old Testament. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Jesus is called in John's gospel, the word of God. He's the word in, in flesh. And now he's taking the word of God in scripted. And so the word is teaching the word. Oh, talk about perfect, perfect interpretation. We're, we're not told what he did. We're not told where he went. We're told he went through the whole scriptures. Now, he couldn't have covered the entire Old Testament, but maybe he did an overview. I know, I am certain he had to spend quite a bit of time in the very first book of Moses, Genesis. I wonder if he would have gone to Genesis 1 and verse 3 where God said, let there be light, and there was light. And maybe Jesus drew the correlation to what the Apostle Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where God, who said, let there be light, has shown light in the hearts of those who believe. I wonder if he had gone to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve failed, sinned, clothed themselves with the foliage of the garden, only to be told by God they needed a better covering. They needed an animal covering and so the skin of an animal was they were clothed with this would have been the very first death to ever ever occur on the earth right in front of Adam and Eve something innocent dying for the guilty I wonder if Jesus would have brought that correlation that he was the one whose righteousness that they needed I wonder if he'd have stayed there and, and said that he was the one in Genesis 3 15 who would stomp the head of the serpent which is what he did when he died I wonder if he had gone to Genesis 6 through 9 and talked about the flood, the ark that, that Noah built, and the one door, the one door, not five doors, not two doors, one door to the ark. Jesus said, I am the door. He who enters through me will be saved in John chapter 10. I wonder if he made that correlation. Or maybe the ark itself, as Peter tells us, he is a picture. He is a type of the ark. That was the place of safety when destruction was taking place all around the earth. I wonder if he went to Genesis 15, where Abraham, you know, the father of, the, of our faith, the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham is, is ready to, he's taken all these animals, he's cut them in half, there's this, there's this river of blood, there's a pathway, that's what they did when they cut covenants with one another back in those days. Here is Abraham waiting for God to come down, hold his hand, and walk between those pieces as if to say, we're in this together, God only to be put into a trance and to see God walking alone through those pieces, through those sacrifices, as if to say to Abraham, you get to partake in this, but you're not going to be the one who makes it happen. I alone can save you, and God alone can save us. I know for sure he went to Genesis 22. I know he did, because that's where Abraham's long-awaited son, he's a century old, he gets a son, he's now in his teenage years. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, 
Isaac, whom you love, and offer him up as a burnt sacrifice on Mount Moriah. That's the very first time the word love ever occurs in the Bible. And here it is directly connecting to the and only son whom Jesus was. And there in that famous story, Isaac willingly lays down, the strapping teenager willingly lays down for his father to hold a knife over him, to sacrifice him. God stops the thing from happening. There's a ram caught in the bush. And I wonder if Jesus took these two men on that road that day and said, I'm Isaac. I'm the greater Isaac. I'm the one who willingly laid down. I'm the only son. And the ram, I'm the substitute. All of these things I'm certain he did. I wonder if he went to the end of Genesis where you have the story of Joseph and Joseph has his brothers in front of him. They think he's going to you know, lay down the lumber now because, you know, they had deceived Joseph. They had betrayed Joseph. They'd sold him into bondage many years earlier. Their father's now dead. But Joseph reminds them, look, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. I wonder if Jesus told those two disciples, I know that the Romans and the Jews meant evil to me, but this was all according to God's plan. Jesus would have said, I am the greater Joseph. He surely would have gone to Exodus chapter 12 where we've been studying in our study of the Passover and, and the lamb and the examination of the lamb and the perfection of the lamb, the, the killing of the lamb, the, the application of the blood of the lamb to those homes so that God would pass over and Jesus would say in John chapter 5 and verse 24, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment but has passed over, has crossed over from death to life. I have to believe he did that because Jesus is the greater lamb. He's the, he's the greater Joseph. He's the greater lamb. He's, he is the greater Moses. He was a greater deliverer than Moses. He, he's the, the greater Joshua leading his children to victory. He's the, the greater David, king of kings and Lord of lords. I'm sure that as he took those two, as they kept walking closer and closer to where they lived, he took them to Exodus 16, where you have the bread, the manna coming down from heaven, the daily manna that kept them alive in the wilderness those 40 years, and said to them, look, I am, like he said in John 6, I'm the bread of life. I'm your sustenance. I'm not something you partake of only for a day. I'm, I'm one you partake of and you get life, eternal life from. And he probably made his way to the next chapter in Exodus 17 and, and, and described himself as the rock that led the children of Israel, indeed the rock that was struck, the rock that the water gushed from and said, I'm the one who will quench your eternal thirst and you'll never, ever thirst again. I wonder if Jesus would have taken him to Numbers 21, that strange story, like he did to Nicodemus. I wonder if he had said, do you remember when the serpents, those fiery serpents were biting the Jewish people who were rebelling against God and they were dying, they're dropping like flies. God told Moses, put up a bronze serpent on a pole and everybody who stares at the serpent will be delivered from the fiery snakes. Remember that story? Have you ever read that? It had to seem strange to those people, but everyone that looked was delivered. And Jesus said to Nicodemus one night, when he, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus, and Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent 
in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him will have everlasting life. I wonder if these two, this had to be blowing their minds as he was going through this. I wonder if he took them to Isaiah chapter uh, 6 and where, where the angels are surrounding God whose his train is filling the temple and saying, holy, holy, holy. and said, I am he whom those angels worshiped. I'm the one who Isaiah saw in the vision. I wonder if he went to Zechariah the prophet and said, where it says, they, the Jewish people, will one day look upon him whom they've pierced. Hundreds of years before he was actually pierced. And said, that's me. You know he had to go to Psalm 22, where it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because those were the very words that came out of Jesus' mouth, penned by David 900 years earlier. Where he's also, we're also told that he was forsaken. They cast lots for him. Psalm 22 says all of these things. And you know, you absolutely know that Jesus went to Isaiah 53, the greatest prophecy in all of the Old Testament, 700 years earlier, where we find out he is, surely he has borne our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I have to wonder, because this was Resurrection Sunday, if finally Jesus ended up in Psalm 16 and verse 10, where the psalmist David writes that God would not allow his holy one to see corruption. Now, in those days, most people believed after about three days into the fourth day, you started to corrupt. Your body started to actually rot. But Jesus rose after three days, all pointing to the resurrection. You got to think, you got to think that these guys, their heads had to be spinning. I know mine was. Maybe yours is right now. When I say mine was, I mean, I was one of these individuals who grew up in a very religious home, a loving home. I have no regrets of my upbringing. I was religious. I, went to, I believed in all the tenets of Christianity, that God is one, that he exists in three persons, that Jesus was the son of God, the second person of the Godhead, that he came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again. I, I knew the Apostles' Creed. I knew it. By heart. But it was never personal to me. I'd never made it personal. I knew the story. I didn't know the storyteller. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. One day as I was working at John Deere, a man whose name was Nick came to me. We worked very closely with one another. I didn't know him that well. But God had laid it on his heart to pray that he would bring somebody near him that would be open to the personal side of the gospel. That person, the answer to that prayer was me. And Nick began to share his own personal story with me, going over all the facts. And there I was with facts without faith. There I was with the story and not the storyteller. There I was with about Jesus, but not Jesus. And it was all making sense. And as he talked, I wanted more. I sensed that I wanted more. And these guys, these two guys that Jesus was talking to, they wanted more as well. In fact, I want you to look at it. Look what happens here. So it tells us, as they drew near, in verse 28, they drew near the village to watch uh, to where they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. 
Uh, it's toward evening. The, the day's far spent. The night, the sun's going down. So Jesus went in to stay with them. Now watch this in verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Remember, they didn't recognize him before. Now they do. And he vanished from their sight. What did they see? What was it that made them recognize Jesus? The Bible doesn't tell us, and I think the reason why is because God wants us to know the only way we will ever recognize him, to go from the story to the storyteller and have a personal relationship with him, is he, if he, if, is if he himself lets us see. Some think, because it does say, if you notice, he gave the bread, he broke the bread. That, that bread would have been unleavened bread, which was a picture, if you've been with us, is a picture of Jesus without sin. This was during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. In fact, right in the middle of it. So all the only bread a Jew could eat would be unleavened right now. So as he gave that bread, his sleeves would have, been, would have, would have gone up his, you know, not like a suit like I'm wearing, but he would have had a garment that just as you extend, your arms and your wrists are exposed. And we know that Jesus, according to John's gospel, still had, still had the holes in his wrist and in his feet the scar on his side. They were all there. And one wonders as he gave them the bread. <gasps> and he was gone. I don't know. It's just speculation. Just the other day, my, my wife said to me, honey, do you know? And she named a person from my high school days. I said, oh, yeah, I know her. Yeah, go ahead. She's asked you to be her friend. Yeah, she asked me, should I, should I accept her friendship? Yeah, accept her friendship. It was several months earlier that I had seen this woman, a gal that I hadn't seen in 40 years at a local coffee shop. And literally, this is how it happened. She walked right up to me and she said, hey, Pat, do you recognize me? <laughs> it was totally embarrassing. I'm looking at her. I go, uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't recognize you. She goes, oh. Pat Nimmers, you know who I am. And now I'm really embarrassed. And I said, look, I, I am so sorry. I, I, I don't. Should I know who you are? And she said, and she said her name. And voila, right there, right then, everything about her came back. I said, yes, of course I recognize you. But she had to say her name. I want you to look at verse 32. Jesus has just disappeared. And look what it says. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? Oh my goodness, we had him in our midst and we didn't even know it. Again, just the other day, a young woman in a group of people that my wife and I work with, recent follower of Jesus, she'd watched our Good Friday service, and she texted our larger group and said, she is, you know, you know I've all, I always knew the story, but I never realized that I was a part of the story. I love that. Would you like me part of the story? See, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, 
they knew the stories, but they never knew that Jesus was the subject of those stories. Do you? I'm thinking many of you know the story of Easter, but you don't know the storyteller. You don't know Jesus. And that was me in 1982. That was me. And as my, as my friends share with me, as my brothers share with me, my heart burned like their hearts burned many years earlier. And very shortly thereafter, I took the facts and they became faith. The story and the storyteller came together in a personal moment for me on September 6th, 1982. I asked Jesus Christ, who was crucified, who was buried, who rose on this Easter morning to come into my life, take my sins away, and take my life over. The resurrected Jesus opened the eyes of my heart so that I could recognize him. Do you recognize him now today? Would you like to recognize him? Is your heart burning? Would you like to know the Easter Lord Jesus Christ? Not just the one affixed on a cross, but the one who came out of what is now an empty grave. If it is your desire, dear friend, as you sit in your home and your heart is on fire and you're saying right now, yeah, I want that. Would you recognize your sin? Would you believe that Jesus died for you? And would you ask him to come into your life? Would you pray with me right now to that end? God, our Father, what a story. What a story. And what a story within the story with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. How you were hidden from them, Lord Jesus, until you revealed yourself to them. When you broke the bread, when you gave it to them, their hearts were on fire and they believed. They went and told all their friends, as one who truly comes to know Jesus can't help but do. Lord, as we pray right now, there are people in the listening audience whose hearts are on fire, who want to know this. There might be a child. You might be 10 years old right now, and you're thinking, I want Jesus. I want to believe in him today. And you might be 50 years old or 60 or 70 and your life is ebbing away. You know the story, but you don't know the storyteller, but today your heart's on fire. You know you're a sinner. You know Jesus died and rose again. You want him. If that's you in prayer from your heart, would you just pray, Lord, I confess right now my sin that you bore in your own body on the cross for me. And I believe in you. I believe you died for me personally and I believe you rose again for me personally and I now receive you personally. I ask you to come into my life, take my sins away and be my savior and my Lord so that I too, having partaken of the bread of life by faith, I too will never hunger again. 
God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed from your heart that for the very first time, would you please let us know? We'll show you how you can do that in a few moments. We're so grateful to be able to share the Easter story with you and a sequel to it where hearts became on fire. I hope yours does as well.